Good morning. morning. I haven't got my watch with me that I normally put there, so you're all in trouble. (laughs) Well, that was going to be the title, but um, then when I started doing it, I thought, uh, let's change it. To serve better. So that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. A bit of a strange one because it is Pentecost, but uh, then uh, the reading I was given was part of our series that we've been doing in Philippians. So uh, it all fits together, don't worry. Well, we've all had character references, I assume. Everyone here had a character reference at some time or other? When you're going for a job or whatever? Good. Well, a good, accurate character reference is worth its weight in gold. Now, by this I mean something that is much more than millions of likes on Facebook. A good, accurate character reference can give us a great insight into a person, particularly if we don't know them personally. Well, I recorded some real character references of a well-known public figure, which were recently given. President Biden said this person had selfless devotion. Boris Johnson described this person's unwavering duty and service. David Beckham recognised this person's inspirational leadership. John Major said he had frank and honest meetings with this person. Michelle O'Neill of Sinn Féin, an unlikely fan, said this person was warm and respectable and a pursuer of peace. President Macron found this person was a source of wisdom and courageous. And the Archbishop of Canterbury said that even in the midst of personal tragedy, this person was stoic and did not give in to self-pity. Can you guess who these people were talking about? Yeah. It's the Queen. And she is probably the ultimate public servant at any time in the history of the UK. And while we might have observed one or two of those qualities I just stated, when you get a combination like that, you get a greater picture of who the Queen really is. Well, that's what we see in our Bible passage today from Philippians. Paul gives us character references for Timothy and Epaphroditus. And what's a bit strange is that he puts these references partway through his letter. You'd expect them probably to either be at the beginning or the end, because they're about him doing something for the Philippians. But he had a special reason for locating his comments right on the heels of his reprimand to the Philippians for their lack of unity in verses 1 to 18 of chapter 2. Uh, You might want to open your Bibles um, and just have them handy so you can refer to the passage. Philippians 2 it was. You see, by contrast to the Philippians, his co-workers provided examples of what it meant to put the interests of others ahead of their own interests. 
And Paul wants the Philippians to stop their grumbling and complaining against each other and to follow the path of unselfishness that these two valued friends had chosen. It's not that the Philippians weren't serving. They were. But they weren't serving effectively. And they could serve better. So that's the context of these two references. So there's the first one, Timothy. And I've put it in a summary there. So Paul extorts his pastoral skills. He says, Timothy will show genuine concern for your welfare. He's a hard worker for the gospel. And he's proved himself time and time again working under Paul. Then we get the second reference. Epaphroditus. Not necessarily somebody you would have come across before. But Epaphroditus is a proven worker. He was sent by the Philippians to Paul in prison to help Paul. He's a fellow soldier of Christ. He's a fighter. He's compassionate and caring. And he's loyal to the point of willingly risking his life for Paul. And these two descriptions of Timothy and Epaphroditus, they contain things that Paul witnessed firsthand. And they're reliable indicators of the two men's true characters. They show them to be Christians who exemplify the humble servanthood and concern for others that Paul urged on his friends. And they also provide an insight into how they were serving Paul and serving God's kingdom. Well, for the remainder of this talk, I'd like to share some thoughts about serving that I've picked up over the years and reflect on these in the light of Paul's ministry because Paul has much to say about serving in many of his letters. Well, one question... Whoops, gone too far. That's better. One of the questions I've heard a fair bit during my time at Christchurch is, where does God want me to serve? Four words for you. Serve where you are. So often we think that there must be some grander design for us when we are exactly where God wants us to be. You see, God will let you know if you're serving where he doesn't want you to serve. Believe you me. And if he wants you to serve elsewhere, he'll let you know in his own time. So if you're not hearing anything specific from the Holy Spirit, and the areas you're serving in are open and contributing to the kingdom, then carry on serving there. 
serve with purpose. In our passage, Paul describes why he's sending his two co-workers. They have a specific purpose which he wants them to fulfil. We see for Timothy, it's to serve by caring for the Philippian church. While Epaphroditus is being returned to the Philippians after caring for Paul's needs in prison. And he would also carry this very letter that Paul's writing. Both have a purpose for their service. But serving with purpose is more than that. Serving with purpose literally means serving as if you were directly serving Jesus. And Jesus should be our motivation in whatever task we're undertaking. Let me give you an example. I don't know whether members of this particular team are in, but if you're on the garden team, garden as if you were tending Jesus' private garden. Be diligent in tending the wondrous plants God has created and enable them to display fully the glory of their creation. Now that's serving with a purpose. And we can apply that to all areas of serving. On the worship team, worship with purpose. On the cleaning team, clean with purpose. On the preaching team, preach with purpose. If we're motivated to serve Jesus as we serve others, then we're serving with purpose. But our attitude is also important. Serve with enthusiasm. No one likes a miserable server, least of all God. And if you remember the great commandment up there on the screen from Matthew 22, 37 to 39. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. When we obey that commandment to love and serve others, we're serving God. And we should be blessed with happiness. Because we may be doing what God created us to do. Or at the very least, we're being obedient to what he wants us to do. But if our service brings miserableness, we might want to ask the question, am I really serving others? Am I really serving God? Well, Acts 16 gives us a good example about serving with enthusiasm. Let me read it from verse 22 to 24. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders... 
he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Well, if that was me, I think I might be feeling pretty miserable. But what were Paul and Silas doing? Well, in verse 25, it says this, about midnight, this midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. All the trouble and beatings had not dampened their enthusiasm. They were worshipping. And if we were to read on that, from that passage, we'd find that their attitude of enthusiasm at a time of trial actually prompted a dramatic event which led to the conversion of the jailer and his entire household. Again, reading further on from Acts 16, they'd then take a step further, not just serving with enthusiasm, they were then inspired to serve with boldness because they would challenge the authorities over their imprisonment rather than going quietly on their way. And that brings me on to our next point. Serve with boldness. Let me introduce you to He Wu. He Wu is a lady who lived in North Korea. Possibly the worst place on earth to be a Christian. And she managed to make it across the border to China, where she became a Christian. But then He Wu was discovered by secret police and sent back to North Korea for re-education. Basically, that means being sent to a prison camp. The smell of death was everywhere, and the ashes of executed and dead prisoners were simply scattered on a pathway where everyone walked. In that dark, hellish place, He Wu prayed a big, bold prayer. Jesus, make me be salt and light here. And the Holy Spirit showed her a handful of women to share Jesus with. And a secret church was born. But they couldn't meet openly. They had to come together in utmost secrecy, which meant meeting in the prison camp toilets, as it was so horrible that even the guards wouldn't go there. This is what Hewu said. In prison... I saw the worst of humanity, but I saw the best of Jesus. Well, we probably won't be asked to serve somewhere like North Korea, but sometimes God does ask us to serve with boldness, to step out of our comfort zones and take a risk. Maybe he's asking you that today. What will be your answer? Well, our next serving quality is serve with humility. And it's something that Paul highlighted about Timothy and Epaphroditus. 
It was their humble service. They quietly got on with serving without blowing their own trumpets. But I think there's a bit more to it than just that. I think it's vital that we get feedback on how we're serving. Because it helps us stay humble. And it identifies things that may be unhelpful or harmful that we're coming into contact with. Well, as a licensed lay minister, um, I have to have ministerial reviews with not just the vicar, but also an external person. And I was thankful at one of those reviews that my reviewer, who knew me personally, and also the context of how I was serving at Christchurch, he flagged something potentially toxic. Now, you wouldn't think this was, but I was serving as a licensed lay minister and as a church warden. Well, that wasn't so much a comment on my ability to juggle both the roles. But he said it wasn't good for me to do them long term. Not just for my sanity, but also for the sanity of others here. (laughs) You see, having too much responsibility or power could be toxic. And I know that. I know myself. So I made plans to step down from being church warden as soon as I could. You see, serving with humility also means being prepared to lay things down. In fact, I would recommend that while we serve with purpose, we also hold our service lightly so that we stay humble. It's not good to let our service define us because it can become an idol in our lives. Serving with humility means acknowledging our weaknesses, identifying potential hazards, and recognising that as servants, we're not the one in control. That's God's role. Well, our next serving tip is to serve with steadfastness. (coughs) What does steadfastness mean? Well, some common synonyms for the word steadfast are constant, faithful, loyal, resolute, staunch. But you see, while all these words mean firm in keeping to that which one owes allegiance... That's what all those words mean. The word steadfast implies something more. It implies a steady and unwavering course in love, allegiance or conviction. That's what being steadfast means. And later in his letter to the Philippians, chapter, uh, no, that's not it, Uh, Chapter 3, verses 12 to 14, which we'll come to in due course, Paul explains what it means to be steadfast. He says this, 
Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Let's be honest. There are times when serving is hard. Paul was in prison, probably chained to Roman soldiers. And Roman jails were not the nicest places. They were unsanitary and disease was rife. But Paul's perspective of these unpleasant circumstances were that they would be fleeting moments in an eternal lifetime. While reminding us that we haven't reached our goal, Paul exhorts us to press on by focusing on the prize which God has called us to, an eternity with Jesus. Eyes on the prize of heaven with Jesus and the wisdom of Scripture help us to serve with steadfastness. Well, another way of serving, which is vital, is serve with others. It helps us be steadfast. You see, because when we serve in community, we get immeasurable benefits. We get help and support from others when things get difficult. We get advice and assistance to stay the course. And in my experience there is a multiplication of blessing from God because he loves it when believers work together in unity. Hebrews 12 verse 1 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. The great cloud of witnesses are the very people serving with us. They help us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. That's why our small groups are great places to serve together. Because we can create those relationships. When we serve with others, it's also important, though, that we serve with empathy. In our Bible passage, we see how Paul serves with empathy despite all the trials he's going through in prison and the pressing problems of the fledgling churches like Philippi, he doesn't lose sight of his fellow workers. He has empathy for both Timothy and Epaphroditus. He's shared in their triumphs and their troubles. 
And that's why he can speak with truth and clarity about them. And that's something we can mirror in our own lives. Let's look at those around us. See what they're going through. And then concentrate less on ourselves and more on them. That's what real service is. Ask the questions. What is this person going through? How might I be able to serve this person? You see, then, we're starting to serve in the spirit that Jesus served. And I'd completely forgotten that it was Pentecost. But thank goodness that the words I've been given are not necessarily my own, because God obviously had a plan. And my last point is this, serve in the spirit. You see, there's only one person who can answer those questions that I just asked, and then move us to a place of real service, and that's the Holy Spirit. That amazing verse from Zechariah 4, verse 6, that Andy shared with us last week. Not by might, nor by power, but my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. It's the only way we can serve effectively. The World Health Organization has defined the word burnout as a syndrome that results from chronic workplace stress that has not been successfully managed. It's characterised by feelings of exhaustion, increased negativity towards one's job or calling, and reduced ability to complete work-related tasks. And so often I hear of Christ followers, especially leaders, burning out. Burnout does not occur through a lack of effort or enthusiasm, or great purpose or boldness. It occurs when we try serving in our own might and power. The bottom line is that our power and might is not up to the task. Only the Holy Spirit can give us the tools, wisdom and power to serve God's kingdom. In the past couple of years, physical, emotional and mental exhaustion has multiplied. You've probably seen that around. A Church of England wellbeing survey found that 42% of clergy said their mental health had deteriorated during the pandemic. That's the ones who are being honest. It's probably a great deal more than that. I found this an interesting quote from a guy called Sean Nemechek. He's a pastor who works with ministers in crisis. And he said this, Burnout is what happens when our inner walk with God isn't sufficient to sustain our outer work for God. 
You see, only by serving in the Spirit do we maintain the balance of abiding in God and abounding in his service. It's where our service is not measured by the quantity of hours that we put in, but by the quality of the time we spend in the presence of the Lord. Timothy and Epaphroditus knew this, and so did Paul. And it's what Jesus modelled when he was here on earth. He would go to places of quiet to be with his father. He would take time to do that. And it always happened before a time of extreme ministry. Because he couldn't have done the extreme ministry without that time, without that filling of the Holy Spirit, without that preparation. Well, I'm going to leave you with a question. What is it that you need to help you serve more effectively? Now, it may be something in that list there. And it may be this morning that God wants to bring one particular one of those to your attention. Or it could be that you've been struggling with one of them for a while. Well, it would be a great time to deal with it. So if there's a particular area of serving that you want prayer for, please come to the front of the church after the service and one of us will pray with you. God wants us to serve better. He really does. And we serve better with the one that's marked in red there. We serve better when we serve in the Spirit. So let's make it our goal to even with all the others, let's just take that red one into next week. Let's try and serve him in the spirit and see where he takes us. See if we can serve better.